The Crux of the Matter, Episode 68, Lenten Disciplines. Hello, welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? We're doing good. Good. Doing just great. We, we had um, spring break last week, so we're back in action this week. Good, 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 good. Yeah, I have... This was a remarkably calm week for me. And, you know, when you get a calm week during Lent, I mean, it was busy, but it was it was calm. I had time to read. I had time to I had to, time to study, to meditate, to kind of do normal things. And even though it was interspersed with some some visits and everything, um, it was a pretty good week, I'd say. Um we're recording this on a Friday, so uh, kind of the end of the week there. What'd you teach this week? Well, um, my church history class is going on a field trip tomorrow, Saturday. We're going to go visit a Greek Orthodox church and talk to the priest there. And you know, we're not attending a service, of course, but we're, um, you know, just gonna. He's going to show us around the church and talk about the icons and talk a little bit about the history. So I, I prep them for that. We. On our we when we met last on Wednesday, we uh, spent some time talking a little bit about the spiritual life of the in the in the liturgical life of the Orthodox Church. Right, right. Good. Which is well, always fun. Be, I enjoy fun. it. Yeah, I remember when. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I was in Wisconsin. We would do these. We call them steeple chases, where we had a bunch of different. Uh, we would go to, uh, you know, various kinds of Protestant churches. We'd go to Roman Catholic churches, and we went to several Orthodox churches. My favorite was probably the Coptic church that we went to, but very mm. interesting. That's uh, that's well worth the time. I'd like to do that here. I haven't done that before. Hmm. Fun. You mean with your confirmation students or something? Yeah, I don't know, or do just that, just get a group of people from uh, from the mm. church and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go do a uh, we're gonna go tour a couple churches here. I think that would be fun. I think that would be very, yeah. very worthwhile, very worthwhile. Well, for church history, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've talked a lot about the patristic era, the early church fathers, and we've, of course, talked about the Great Schism in 1054 and the and the iconoclast controversy and things like that. So, uh, just to show just to show some of my students and all of my students in this class, it's a small class, and all of them are church work students. So, just to give them a little bit of a exposure to uh, you know the Orthodox Church, I think is is good educationally. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Well, I'm teaching, um, I did Isaiah six this week, which is always awesome. You know, the call of Isaiah. So you get, uh, you get lots of, lots of interesting conversation about worship, first of all, uh, which is, which is fun and angels and all those sort of things. Also, uh, preparing to start the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday, you know, I'm going through math. Mm. So we're up at chapter yeah, right. five now. So I've been uh, boning up on uh, Dr. Scare's Sermon on the Mount book and reading uh, reading Gibbs's Matthew commentary and kind of working through a bunch of things. It's been helpful because we've been kind of preaching in Matthew for the most part um, through Epiphany. So, uh, mm -hmm. so it's been kind of familiar territory to this point, but um, it's been a while since I did a really in-depth study of the uh of the sermon on the mount so i think that'll be that'll be fun time that'll be good yeah yeah very good well our topic for today is a is kind of an interesting one for lutherans and that is uh the topic of lenten disciplines um 
here's how I came into this topic. And you can tell me if I'm crazy on this or or however. Uh, a few years ago, I'm sure that I have mentioned this article that I wrote about Lent before um, that was published on The Federalist. We'll put it in the show notes again, I suppose. Um, but a few years ago, I wrote this article on why Lent should matter to everyone. And the gist of the article was the concept of sacrifice is a good thing. And the concept of restraining the flesh and sort of learning how to um, learning how to give things up in order to appreciate what you have are these are good things entirely apart from entirely apart from religious tradition. These are just good ideas. It's good discipline. Mm -hmm. um, and the article got lots of uh, lots of interesting conversations. But again and again, I keep coming back to the larger question of what is uh, what does it mean to have Lenten disciplines? I mean, when you hear that, hear that term, you know, Lent disciplines, um, kind of what does it mean? What does it mean historically? And where do Lutherans kind of fit in this whole in this whole scheme of things? Where do, where do you tend to start with that kind of thing, Scott? Well, when I talk about Lenten disciplines, I, I usually frame it as these are just simply Christian disciplines. Um, sure. That these are things that that are just part and parcel of the Christian of the Christian life. Uh, things like prayer, things like fasting, tithing, scripture reading, attending uh, the Eucharist. Um, you know, going to confession. These are, but somehow Lent as a preparatory season for Easter seems to get maybe just zoomed up a little bit, and and people will. Most often, I think in my congregations, what people have done is, you know, I don't know how much people fast, but they, um, I do hear people talk about giving things up for Lent, which is a kind of fasting, right? You know, it's sure. sacrificing or giving up some kind of a luxury item, hopefully, or, or like, or meat or some, or some mm -hmm. such thing. Um, so I, that's how I frame it is that this isn't just something we do in Lent. These are Christian practices. Uh, that are part and parcel of just walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ to help in, in part, you know, some of those things are means of grace and, sure. and some of those things are not means of grace, but they're, they're ways that we can, um, you know, discipline and batter into submission, our, our bodies and our passions, such as, such as fasting. Yeah. Well, now I, in my mind, Lutherans are really in a bit of a quandary when it comes to this whole topic. Because when it comes to something like fasting, there, there's oftentimes one very simple kind of definition or understanding of how we approach that. We're not Roman Catholic. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That's, or that it's just law and therefore we don't do it. Right. Right. And, and as a result, um, we can actually make a discipline like fasting into a um into a bizarre confession of faith <laughs> sort of mm -hmm. you know i'm going to prove that i'm not roman catholic or eastern orthodox by um by overindulging during lent and and i just got to wonder is that actually all that helpful what are, what are we trying to prove what what's kind of at stake with this sort of thing um in, in my mind, and, and, and again, you can certainly maybe you have a different perspective. In my mind, we tend to come at these things from a very strict 
noetic approach, and that is, if I'm told I have to do something, it must be a work, and it must be something that is a good work in order for me to be saved. Since we believe in grace, therefore, these things no longer apply or are necessary. And so you're demanding that I do something that goes beyond what the scriptures demand. And therefore, you're, I don't know, a heretic, wrong, you know, uh, just a, a bad Lutheran. I'm not sure. But uh, the longer that I'm at this, Scott, the, the, the harder of a time I have buying that basic argument. It just doesn't fly with me anymore. And I don't know, maybe that does make me a bad Lutheran. I'm not sure. Well, I don't see how it makes you a bad Lutheran. I, I think it makes you a good Christian. I, you know, I think that what we want to do is, um, you know, walk as the Savior walked and 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 uh, do the things that he instructs us to do. He does instruct us to pray, you know, when you pray sure. and talks about fasting. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not like I can understand it if somebody if we were talking about the rosary, you know, or if we were talking about, um, you know, uh venerating relics or something like that. These are clearly non-biblical things that are accretion, in my view, accretions to the, to the faith practices that have no spiritual merit or, or minimal, um, and, and can actually be, but when it comes to something like prayer, um, talking to to God, you know, St. Paul says pray constantly, right? You know, it, it, I, so, so I, I hear the same stuff you do and I, and I have responded that way. I think I've, I'm no longer that way, but I have responded the way you were describing that. Sure, it's like, well, I have too. Mm-hmm, you know, well, we want to, we want to, you know, exercise our freedom. We want to s- celebrate our, our freedom in the gospel. And, and that's still true. I, I you know, that these aren't, these aren't pitted against each other, but anyway, it is a tension for Lutherans sometimes. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I would say that, um, that for for Lutherans, we have we have become so um, sensitized to not wanting to be something. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to be Roman Catholic, or in my case, I don't want to be lumped with the Protestants. You know, that's mm-hmm. that can be just as much of an idol <laughs> in its own way mm-hmm. as the other. Um, but we have kind of gotten to such a point with these disciplines that we no longer actually remember, well, what am I to actually do and, mm-hmm. and, and not do? And how does this benefit my neighbor? How does this benefit others? So, so that's kind of one, one thought. But here's another one that, that I have been noodling around lately that I do think is an important one for us as a church to be discussing, and that is, Physical disciplines for the longest time in in Lutheranism, I would argue, the the answer to physical disciplines is well, bodily preparation is of some benefit, but you know, but but training in righteousness is of is a benefit in every way, and we mm-hmm. use that as a kind of uh, therefore um, bodily uh, bodily training is of no benefit. That's not actually what Paul says, <laughs> and that's not what, mm-hmm. and that's not, you know, that's not what Jesus says. You know, I mentioned that I'm doing the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We get in the Sermon on the Mount the whole lot when you fast, which also yeah. many of our, uh, uh, many of our listeners probably preached on, 
on Ash Wednesday because that section mm-hmm. of Mark of Matthew six comes as a part of the lectionary. Yeah. So, so if you take a practice, you know, a physiological practice of fasting, and and we can we could kind of parse out what does that mean? Does that mean uh, not eating at all? Does that mean giving up certain foods? Does that you know what does that what precisely does that mean? And then why are you doing it? Um, but when you take a practice like that, what is it? What is its intent in Scripture? And what is its intent for us today? Let's you know that's kind of how I'm thinking about that question now, if that makes sense. So fasting, you know, is is just simply self denial. Yep. You know, it's usually a food because the appetite for food is something that we experience throughout the day, every day. Some of us more than others, perhaps, and um, uh, you know, so to to just learn to control your appetites um is i think salutary no of course it's not the same thing as as going to the eucharist or or being baptized or even hearing the word of god preached in its truth and in purity um you know it doesn't benefit me in 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 the same ways but i i am of the view that when we deny ourselves nothing when it comes to easy things relatively easy things then, then when real temptation comes, when strong temptations come, we're unprepared. It is a form of, it is like physical training. Sure. When you're, when you, you know, you don't wait until the, the house is on fire before you do a fire drill. Right. You do the drills so that when the fire's there, you don't have to think much. You can just go through it, go through the motions. And um, so I, I kind of look at it like that, that it's, it's training my will. Uh, at least that's how I, I approach, I approach fasting. Hmm. I like or, or I like that. So it, it would be interesting to to look at what is the relationship between um, training the will when it comes to fasting and training the conscience, because we mm-hmm. you know that is very much Lutheran language. You know, we talk about law and gospel and and the and the notion of training the conscience both to recognize what is right and wrong and and to uh, cling cling to Christ in the face of temptation. That is very, uh, that is thoroughly biblical and and Lutheran, I might add. But um, to to sort of put that under the under that that notion of uh, of of training, I I think is an interesting one along the way. Well, I think I I mean I think it's helpful, and um, you know, like I said, if you know, if our Lord if our Lord would fast as a means to focus His attention on prayer, and um, you know, He would go into isolation, go into seclusion for prayer and, and fasting. We know that He did this, and and there's never a verse, or there's never a place in the New Testament or the Book of Acts or any of the epistles where this is abrogated. You know, it's not like the Jewish food laws. Yeah, Jewish may, Jesus maybe ate kosher, but you know, uh, God spoke to Peter and said, "All that I made is clean. You can eat all this food now." There's no abrogation of of these of these instructions. These are just guides for living, um, sure. living as a Christian, I think, and and maturing and growing up in the faith. Well, and and you could even add and say that these things are of benefit for you to learn as a human being. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the notion of self-restraint is a good mm-hmm. thing to learn. 
not an easy mm -hmm. thing to learn, but it is a good thing to learn. And, you know, anyone who has ever raised a child recognizes that self-restraint does not come naturally. Self-indulgence right. comes naturally. That's what we do by mm -hmm. nature is we are indulgent. We indulge our passions, our appetites, our desires. And so the notion of self-restraint is, uh, is a tremendously important one that also can have spiritual benefits. You know, for years I have been, I talk a lot about sermons with my confirmation students. Um, and, and so I think of doing sermon studies and such as really ear training essentially for how to listen to sermons. But one of the things that I, uh, that I also do is ask them to kind of reflect on, think about what do they do to prepare to go to church? Do you have a big meal? Do you stay up late the night before? Are you wearing uh, clothes that are scratchy or that, you know, that you don't like where you're going to be too hot or too cold? What are the things that can physically distract us from hearing the word of God and receiving his gifts? Because all of those things are very physical but they are very real. And just because they're physical doesn't mean they're irrelevant. That means that I have no. to learn how to make sort of a ministerial use of my body, as it were. Well, we become a bit, you know, and this word gets overused, but we, we become a bit Gnostic. We sure. become a bit hyper-spiritual. Sure. You know, and, and I don't know who said it or where I read it. But someone said, don't become more spiritual than God. <laughs> I, I think I, 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 I actually I do, too. I actually think it might be C.S. Lewis. I can't remember. I'll have to hunt that down. But something, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, he said, I think it was C.S. Lewis who says, you know, we mustn't become more spiritual than God. And God takes on flesh. OK, God has taken on flesh in the incarnation of his son and 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 he continues in the flesh. And but during his earthly walk. You know, he wasn't just talking about, you know, it wasn't just his being close to God and his spiritual life wasn't just about what's going on in his heart. Right. It involved right. what was going on with his body as right. well. Yeah. I mean, that was the tempt. That's the temptations. That's uh, I mean, yeah, that appears over and over sure. again. So that's that's pretty hard to deny. And yet, in my experience, at least Lutherans tend to be really, really good at denying that. Um, I, and I, I don't know. And, and I'm the, I'm the first person to say, I don't want the church to turn into Weight Watchers. You know, I don't want no. to become right. so obsessed with, you know, what am I eating or not eating and kind of turn a set of rules into the point. And, and maybe that's why when we think about fasting, maybe that's why, we actually have a hard time with it because we don't put the other half to it. You know, why do you fast? You fast in order to uh, sharpen, uh, sharpen yourself for prayer. And if mm -hmm. the prayer isn't there, all you're doing is just sharpening yourself. And you're probably becoming more focused on the fact that you're hungry, <laughs> which probably isn't going to yeah, be all that helpful. Right. This isn't really like a program for self-improvement right. or... Um, although it, it has, it, you know, it has some similarities to that, like you were saying, you know, even in the world, you know, there's some, so there's benefit to some of these practices. Um, you know, becoming a more disciplined person would be better for Christian and non-Christian alike. Right. I think, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, 
you know, it, it is, you know, it is a spiritual practice, even though it involves the body. It, you know, it means that we can hopefully raise our attention to the, the spiritual things and not let our belly dictate what we're going to do and what right. our life is going to be. I'm not going to let are. my belly dictate. My, my stomach is not my God today. It's not going to tell me where, you know, what I'm going to do with my hours. You know, I am going to make, I'm going to be in charge of that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a a lifelong practice and, you know, people in you'll fail and, you know, but, and of course there's always, there is the temptation, there is the, um, danger, I suppose, of, of making it a work, you know, of righteousness, uh, of somehow, you know, that I, I'm fasting and you're not, I'm a better Christian or I'm more holy or whatever. Right. Um, you know, there, yeah, of course with, you know, but that would be true of going to the mass. Sure. You know that someone could say, you know, I go to church every week and you don't, and therefore, you know, I'm, I'm holier than I'm thou. Achieving, yeah. yeah, I'm achieving something in myself that um, that you're not achieving. So, yeah, we have to be aware of those things, and 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 of course, Luther was dealing with medieval Catholicism, and and there was a lot of uh, talk of merit and right. you know works of merit. And um, getting merits from the saints and things like this. Uh, and I dare I, say you know, an, abuse, are, a, an abuse of this yeah. um, concept of physical discipline. So, you know, you're not I talking think, about uh, disciplining the body uh, for prayer or for serving your neighbor necessarily, but um, that the discipline becomes in itself the end. If that becomes the mm-hmm. goal, then then perhaps we're we're kind of missing the point, at least in part. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Interesting. I have a uh, uh, I have a, a friend that's a priest that uh, when, when we were talking about this a while back, and he observed that one of the one of the practices that that happens from time to time is that people will coincide a uh, diet with Lent. So that, so essentially that you're, you're quote fasting, but you're doing this because you're on a diet. And, and so the fasting actually becomes secondary. His, um, his suggestion uh, for whatever it's worth was not to, not to let those things coincide, that this is not about, uh, losing weight or something. I suppose that's possible as a byproduct, but that, that not be the point along the way. And I think that there's, I think there's wisdom to that. Interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Because like I said, you know, this isn't, this isn't just some kind of a goal to get a better bikini body. Right. Um, right. My bikini this, body this is, is just is, fine. Is, thank you. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Um, it's, it's, it's not about that. You know, no. of course there are maybe there are there, of course there are health reasons why perhaps we shouldn't indulge in certain foods and we should cut back on total calories and things like that. I mean, sure. but that's, you know, that's a different, that's a different podcast. It is. It is. And I dare say probably not ours because I am mm-hmm. so not good at that. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's for sure. Well, interesting, um, interesting time. And, and I think that there's more that could be said about um, Lenten disciplines of prayer, almsgiving, uh, tithing, some of these traditional disciplines. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of one one final thought. I, as I've been reading and studying this uh, along the way, you also see that there are different traditions within fasting. You know, in the Roman Catholic Church, 
uh, there is sort of one kind of fasting, and at least on the interwebs this week, there's all the talk about about whether or not uh, this or that diocese is going to give a, a special dispensation for because St. Patrick's Day falls on a Friday. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not even going to touch that one. But uh, right. uh, but when you talk about the Eastern Orthodox uh, fasting practices, like our like our friend Father Anthony over at uh, Good Guys Wear Black, you know. The, their Lenten fast, I believe, includes meat, but also eggs, um, boned, uh, you know, fish with bone, but backbones. I mean, it's it's really quite a bit more uh, narrow than what we typically think of as a as a no meat, no sugar sort of sort of fasting. So, yeah. well, and there's lots of there's lots of historical practices where you know, like through Lent, you might the fast may begin easier, right, and get more arduous. As right. as we get to Holy Week, right? Or the other way around, it may um in the, in the last uh, good guys where Black Father Anthony was talking about how the first week of Great Lent is actually the second most intense week of fasting, the most intense, I assume, being Holy Week. So yeah, yeah there's some God. there, and what I like about that is the notion of saying my body. And its appetites are under, uh, are are in service to my needs and recognition as a Christian, my spiritual life, if you will, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. There's right. There's something to be said for that, no question about it. And it's so countercultural. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it it's not just that because of Lutherans having sort of a, a you know our. our you know, justifiable grace obsession. Sure. But it's, <laughs> it's cute. also a justifiable culture. grace. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it's also a cultural thing where we live in a very consumerist culture, which is, you know, all about, I can get what I want. I can choose, you know, uh, you know, I, I can, I can have it. It's there. I just yep. need to when know, I find want, the right website. However I want. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. Interesting. interesting, interesting. So even though this is uh this is Lent, I think that's probably enough on that topic. You got anything else that you wanna you wanna no, mention that's, along that's the way good. there? Is that good? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. even though this is Lent and I mean this in a very penitential way, uh what's bringing you joy this week? Well, I've probably mentioned this before, um, this particular item. It's a magazine that's a I think it's a quarterly. Uh, that I've gotten off and on over the years, and um, I, I, the, I just got a recent issue that I'm just really loving, and so I wanted to bring that up again. And it's a magazine called Christian History, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just what you would expect. You know, it's 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 a it's a journal that comes out. It's got lots of nice, colorful pictures, lots of graphs. The articles are not long, and they're easy to read. I mean, it's written for lay level. Um, and each, each issue has a theme It's produced by Christianity today, but each issue has a theme and they've been doing stuff on the reformation and all this. But the one I just got this week is on, is called faith in the foxholes, seeking hope amidst wars, despair. And it's about the world wars, world war one and world war two and Christianity. And during, during those periods, and it's, it's an, it's an expanded issue. So it's about twice as long as, as a normal issue is. And it's got stuff in here on Bonhoeffer, Karl Barth, on Martin Niemöller. It's got stuff in here about, well, of course, the spiritual lives of the Inklings because they were World War I vets. Right. It's got 
you know, stuff about, you know, what was going on, you know, like Billy Sunday in, in, in the U.S. and sure. just just ton, tons of, of short articles with lots of pictures and, and charts uh, that are very pleasing to the eye. And the best thing, Todd, about this magazine is Tell it's me. free. What? It's free. How is that possible? Donations. You mm-hmm. want to donate for it. They oh say subscribe for free, donation requested. Yeah. And, and and you can get the, I mean, you can look online and get and see a lot of the same articles, but I always like having a, with some things, I like having a magazine in my hand or a book in my hand. Sure. So, so Christian history is uh, produced by um, Christianity Today. It's one of their, in their, you know, league of magazines that they right. do. But, oh yeah. They do all kinds of uh, stuff. Fun. Mm-hmm. And, Fun. But I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, other issues that they've done recently have been Darwin or, um, you know, great literate Christian uh, writers. But then they'll do something on Augustine or monasticism or Islam. You know, I mean, it's just fascinating. It's, I think, a very, very well done uh, journal that that lay readers and clergy. Uh, but but it's it's written at a lay level so that everybody can can grow in their knowledge of Christian history a little bit. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a winner and definitely a joy bringer, especially history nuts for history nuts like you and me. But I like that. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. You can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 68. And I would encourage you to go so and go there, leave us comments, feedbacks, all that good stuff. So my joy bringer is completely different than that, Scott. <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, uh, you and I have been uh, uh, texting back and forth, and I've been uh, complaining about how much time I ended up spending on our church's network uh, last, last week. And we'll probably talk about that at some other time. But one of, the, one of the things that I discovered in that process was a product that's called an Eero, E-E-R-O. Hmm. And uh, an Eero, it's a router, which, you know, for most people means that their eyes are going to glaze over. And I appreciate that, that you, the internet and wireless networking and stuff is kind of stuff that you want to just work and be there Mm -hmm. and be transparent and never have to think about essentially. And, uh, and I agree with that. Um, But networking is getting increasingly complicated. And that is especially so because there are more and more and more devices that are in our homes that use Wi-Fi, that use networks. So it's just kind of, I don't see it getting better. I think it's going to be getting worse. Um, Eero is a is a, what's called a mesh network. So when you buy the package, package costs 400 bucks, which is a little much for a network, but package costs 400 bucks. And you you plug it into the modem, which you probably get from your cable provider, and uh, it will take you approximately two minutes to get up and running, maybe five. And uh, and then that's almost the last thing you need to do with it. Uh, you you then plug in. You can have one or two other these uh, Euro bases, I guess you call them. And they kind of create this mesh in your household so that it's covered with Wi-Fi, but that it's every bit as strong in the far corner as it is right next to the device, and mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And also, all of, the, uh, uh, all of the management of it uh, is a part, it's an app that you get for your phone. That's either iPhone, you know, iOS, either iOS or Android. 
And uh, and it has all sorts of fun things that you can do. Like you could, if you had children, you could have them all as a under one family profile called kids. And then you could set it so that their Wi-Fi turned off at 9 p.m. and didn't turn on until nice. 5 p.m. or something, you know. So you can mm-hmm. set times when their devices can actually access the Internet. Um, that is seriously cool, Scott. And oh, yeah, that's important. Most routers have that ability to do, but the interface is so unbearably horrible that that you would never figure it out. This, it could not be simpler. It's really slick. Um, I ended up installing this for our for our school and we'll probably expand it to our church eventually. Um, but it it has really saved me a lot of uh, a lot of time and headache and stuff. And I can uh, I can attest to the fact that it I've got three devices that are kind of covering a floor, which is eight thousand square feet. Maybe it's pretty good size, maybe more. And and it's kind of amazing. So it's called an Eero, E-E-R-O. I think that the the smallest that you can get or that you would want to get is one with two two devices, and that's probably three hundred dollars. Then three devices are four hundred dollars, but uh, that's that's worth every nickel to me. So Eero. Well, that's definitely joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, if, just the absence of the headaches. Yep, definitely, definitely. So that's the joy bringer for today, and uh, we'll have all of this in the show notes. And is there any uh, final word? Are there any final words for our dear listener, Scott? No, I don't have anything. All right. We got nothing. And on that fine note, have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. And we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. <laughs>